54, verse 27. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken of the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking to them, he put a file over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil and he came out, until he came out. And when he came out, he told the Israelites what he had been commanded. They saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. And the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And from verse 7. Where Paul writes about the glory of the new covenant. Verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 3. Now, if the ministry that brought death which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Thanks, Fred.
It's wonderful to, uh, to be here again this morning amongst you. The Lord knows how much I have longed for you for a long time to be able to, to be here and to see you. But you know too that uh, over the last four and a half years, and my wife has been suffering from a very debilitating disease that has many times her, brought her to the point that she only wants to die because she can't handle it any longer. Thankfully, she is she's still alive, but sometimes only just. That's uh, it's a very devastating thing to to work through and to think about and to talk about. And the good thing was, which is a devastating thing in the cell, but the good thing was that, well, if you speak on my funeral, please sing, to God be the glory, great things he has done. Because that's how she feels still. But unfortunately, after all the, all the prayers, all the medication, four and a half years, all the doctors and psychologists and psychiatrists have seen, everybody says, we don't know. At the moment, we go to Hobart to a, very, to a specialist three times a week, and he treats her for one and a half hour, and that might give some help over time. We don't know, but it's at least worth with trying. So please keep us in your prayers and uh, I'm still hoping that one day there will be some sort of, uh, of deliverance so that she can uh, breathe again and, and just enjoy the little things of life. But so far it's still tough going. So thank you for your, uh, your prayers. Thank you for having me this morning here and I'd love to, uh, to bring the word of God to you from 2 Corinthians 3. And as Chris was saying, the title is Fading and Increasing Glory. I'd like to begin with a quote. And I think, if I remember well, it's from the English preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he said it, If you as preacher never have been accused that your preaching is dangerous because you told people that they should not live by the law, then you have probably never explained the gospel properly. So if you really preach the gospel of salvation by grace alone, there will always be people who find that too dangerous because they think you are speaking against the law that God gave. And that can't be right, they feel. See, the first Christian martyr, Stephen, was accused of just that. And he was stoned for it. This is what they said about him. And you can hear that he was preaching, that Stephen had been preaching the gospel. This is what they said about him. This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. And you can find the story in the book of Acts, chapter 6 and 7. Now, interestingly, during the court case against Stephen, the members of the court, the Sanhedrin, they looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was radiant like that of an angel. I guess that they saw exactly the same glory that once radiated from Moses' face when he had received the law. And that should have told them something, but it didn't pick it up. The Apostle Paul, who also preached the gospel, 
in the same way as Stephen did. And he has been accused many times of this. I'll give you an example, Acts 21, verse 28. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Men of Israel, help us! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law. Now, this is the very veil that Paul means when he writes about the Jews who keep continue reading Moses' law. They have no clue what the law that they rave about means. Because they, the law is so precious for them, and they, they feel proud as people, it's our law has been only given to us, then of course they attack everyone who says something that they will perceive as criticism of the law. Now it might well have been, now we go to Corinthians, it might well have been that, that in Corinth certain people had come into the congregation wanting to make a stand again for the law and saying that the people should, should at least keep the law. And that caused a lot of trouble in this congregation. Well, friends, if, if the congregation as a whole is not very clear in its understanding of the basics of the gospel... In no time there's tension and there's trouble amongst the people. And people look at each other and say, oh, he, what he does they can't be right. And, and we have all kinds of problems. So we all have to understand what the gospel is really on about. So that we can apply it in our own life. So that we can treat each other with the love of Christ. And encourage one another to follow the Lord Jesus. And the law cannot really help you in that. So Paul has some explaining to do to the Corinthians, and we would all do well to listen carefully to what he has to say. Have a look at verse 7. Twice, Paul refers there to the law with the word glory. The law, Ten Commandments, the law came with glory. Why? Because God had given them to Moses on tablets of stone. They came directly from God. He had to engrave them on these tablets. And that indicates not only the importance of what, what was put there on the tablets, but also the permanence of it. Since the Ten Commandments are God's law, they remain valid forever. If one of the Ten Commandments tells you that something is wrong, then over time it doesn't become right just because it's been so long ago. Now there's nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. And no one is allowed to speak against it. For the glory of the Lord is connected to it. So when Moses came from the mountain with these two tablets of stone, his face shone with the glory of God. He had been in direct contact with God himself. Now at that time, Israel wasn't able to handle to hear the voice of God himself. They said, please, Moses, you be a mediator for us. Let not the Lord again speak to us as he once did. Let him speak to you, and you tell us, because if he speaks to us directly, that is too frightening for us. So that's what happened. But even then, 
the glory of the Lord was so overwhelming that, that the face, the plain face of the mediator was, was too much to handle for them. So he, Moses had to put a veil over his face. And only over a period of time the glory was, was fading so that they could see his face again. So indeed, it's very clear, the law came with much glory. And yet, in our chapter, Paul calls that period of Israel's history the ministry of death. The whole old covenant from Sinai to Jesus' death on the cross is, according to Paul, the ministry of death. Now, why is that? It's not because the law was dead. The law was very much alive, but it killed people living under that law. Its letter kills indeed. How did it do that? That was because God had attached a curse to this law. And the curse is this, and it has lost none of its sharpness. It says, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. That's God himself speaking. And he says it to each and every one of you. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything that is written in the book of the law. I don't know about you, but I find that a a frightening statement. We all have life and do things in life and things like that. And yet there is this statement in the Bible about this curse. If you don't do what the book of the law tells you to do, you're cursed by God. You're condemned. You can expect judgment. Well, that is the ministry of death indeed. So, if you listen to this law and take it seriously, it makes you very conscious of your own sin. And that, friends, happens to be the very reason that this law was put to us. To make us realize that you, that you can, that there's no way that you can live with a holy God. Let it sink in. Don't don't run away too quickly. Say, yeah, but there's also forgiveness of sin. Oh, yes, there is. But not before you've been under the condemnation of the law. Not before you have a strong sense of conviction of sin and bow down in repentance and cried out to the Lord to save you from the agony of hell, from this curse of the law. You know where, where ultimately this ministry of death led to? It led to the death of Jesus. Christ, the Son of God, came down from heaven to die in our place. And that curse that the law speaks about, that was meant for us, came on him. And he suffered for it in a superhuman ordeal on the cross of Calvary. 
Sometimes you, you think, oh, it wouldn't be, is, is that not terribly hard to, to be crucified on a cross? Ten years ago, someone made a film on that. But it could only show the outward agony. More people were crucified that way, like Jesus. But in Jesus' case, it was very different still. He suffered there the curse of the Almighty One. It's a great mystery there that we will never be able to fully comprehend. The Son took God's wrath over our sin. And the Holy Spirit sustained him all the way when he couldn't handle himself and when he sustained him all the way through this ordeal. Now imagine that. God the Father sacrificing his beloved son for what? For our sake. To make salvation possible. The Holy Spirit knowing the price the Son and the Father paid for salvation is since then very keen to hand out the benefit of the cross to all those whom God has ordained to believe in Jesus Christ and to receive the benefits of his death. Since Pentecost, a new ministry has come into the world. It's the ministry of the Spirit it's a new covenant is here. A covenant sealed by the blood of Jesus. And this ministry is even more glorious than the previous one. Verse 8 says here, The law, though glorious as such, could only condemn us. But the ministry of the Spirit is much more glorious since this ministry brings us that the law could never do. The ministry of the Spirit brings us righteousness. Enable us, enables us to do the things we were supposed to. You can find it in Romans 8, verse 4. Yeah, where, where we fulfill all the requirements of the law if we live according to the Spirit. Wonderful chapter. So the ministry of the Spirit brings us righteousness. To begin with, the Spirit makes us right with God. He makes us believe in Jesus Christ as our only Savior. And because of that faith, God considers us completely righteous. Hold on to that. There's nothing wrong with us anymore as far as God is concerned. Because you, by faith, are in Christ. You belong to him. We have become his children. And we have become heirs of eternal life. Which is, we are justified. But not only that. From the very moment we truly believe, the Spirit takes us on a journey of growing righteousness. He overcomes the fact that we were dead in our sins. He makes us alive in Christ. And what a difference it makes. For what we never could do ourselves, 
namely to improve our life, to make it more and more in line with the Ten Commandments, suddenly becomes our passion. We want to do what is right. We don't have our hands full with trying to be right with God anymore. Now, our hands made free to do the things that God wants us to do. We want to do what is right. We recognize in ourselves what sin is. And subsequently, in the power of the Spirit, we want to tackle that sin. Rid it out. Get rid of it. Become more and more like Jesus. That is a glory never seen before. And friends, that glory never fades. It is a lasting glory. And it shines from the life of God's children. People smell, says Paul somewhere else, he, they smell the aroma of Christ when they come close to you, and they wonder. And if people can't smell that, you, you better ask yourself a few questions. First this one, have I started to live under the ministry of the Spirit? Or am I still battling under the ministry of the law, the ministry of death? See, that ministry will never bring you to life. It makes you only despairing to get it right. In the end, you give up. Or, if, if you make progress, it makes you proud that you do better than others. Still, the ministry of death brings you nowhere. Second question, if you don't experience that, that you have to ponder on, said, I might have started, but I got stuck somewhere. I'm not growing anymore. Well, if that's the case, go regularly back to the basics, as we are doing now, going back to the basics. Remind yourself who you are in Jesus Christ, whom you have become in him, and how you are now to put your whole life under the ministry of the Spirit, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And how do you do that? By crucifying your old nature. By rooting out all that keeps you from being a true follower of Christ. Now back to Paul, verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Now, may I remind you that in the Bible, the word hope is not something that you are uncertain about. We often use it in a way, I I hope to be able to come tomorrow. But, of course, you never know what might happen. Well, that's the way we, we use it nowadays. But Paul means with hope something that you, at this moment, cannot see, but in the meantime, you are very certain about it. For instance, if someone dies in the hope of the resurrection. That does not mean that he died and hopefully one day he may rise again. No, if you die in the hope of the resurrection, it's in the certainty that this is not the end, you will rise again in glory. You're absolutely certain that your body will be raised when Jesus returns. And while that's a certainty that only the Holy Spirit can give you inside. And because Paul is so certain about the glory of the ministry of the Spirit, he's very bold about it. And we should all be. Especially if we have to 
preach or to explain the gospel. Preach it with the, with the boldness of assurance of salvation. Because without that boldness, preaching is a powerless exercise. It doesn't convict anyone of sin. It doesn't comfort anyone, really. Of course, this boldness may offend certain people who don't recognize its source. They will explain it as arrogance. Paul says here, I am not like Moses. I don't have to wear a veil. For the glory that I am radiating is invisible anyway for those who do not understand the gospel. See, some of the the Corinthians might have said that. If then, if then the glory of the new covenant is more than the glory of the old one, why does it not show in Paul's face then, like it did with Moses? Why does Paul just have an ordinary face? Nothing special about his appearance. Paul is just a man like every one of us. Why should we believe him? See, when people say that, they prove that they wear that veil themselves. They cannot see the glory of the new covenant. The spirit of this age has blinded their eyes. Paul will say that in chapter 4. Has blind so that they cannot see the glory of Christ. It applies to everybody. You cannot see the glory of Christ if you think or expect that you can score points with God by your own obedience. Now, Paul is mainly thinking of Jews here, of course. As I said, it applies to everybody who reads his Bible with the understanding that you have to do something to come right with God. In that sense, up to today, you have Reformed Jews and Presbyterian Jews and Baptist Jews and Catholic Jews. Not that they they have any Jewish blood in their veins, but only because they think the same way. They think it's their obedience that makes them acceptable to God. That is exactly the veil that Paul talks about. It's the veil of spiritual blindness. You know what's, what's different between normal blindness, physical blindness, and spiritual blindness? It's your own awareness of it. A physically blind man knows that he cannot say. And that frustrates him at times. But a spiritual blind person is totally ignorant of his own blindness. And is offended when you suggest that he might have that problem. It's a very common problem. Even among church people. Just as a matter of interest, I have, I have a physically blind brother-in-law. He can see nothing anymore, apart from a little bit of light now and then. But his spiritual eyes are wide open, and I love to talk to him. I have another brother-in-law. 
He has very good eyes. Doesn't even wear glasses at 60. Spiritually blind? Find it tough talking to him. Because you can all agree on a certain point and you still feel the connection isn't there. So it's an awful thing, spiritual blindness. But as I said, very common. Now the big question, of course, is how can this veil be removed then? There's only one way. Paul tells it. It has not been removed. Verse 14, it has not been removed because only in Christ it is taken away. Verse 16. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. You know what, what Moses did? When, when Moses faced the people, he had to put that veil on. But whenever he turned to the Lord, he took the veil off because there was an open communication between him and the Lord. And that's what we all have to do. Take that veil away. It's taken away in Christ whenever we turn to the Lord. So take your eyes away from, from people, from the world, from yourself, from your own ambitions for life, and turn to the Lord. Turn around. In other words, you need to be converted. And only then the veil is taken away. And at that moment, we realize indeed, once I was blind, but now I see. Once I was wearing a veil, but it has been removed. And a lot of other things went away with that straight away. My eyesight was restored, my spiritual eyesight, but also my bondage to all kinds of things, my bondage to fear, my bondage to life, my bondage to people, my bondage to self. Once I was bound, but now I'm free. The chains fell off, we just sung that. I was bound to the law and to the condemnation of the law. But now I'm free in Jesus Christ. And the spirit of the Lord Jesus lives in me and gives me freedom. Even from the power of sin. The hold that the devil had on me is broken. The chains came off. That's what we sing. That's what we believe. And that's the glory of the new covenant that we will forever be excited about. Listen to how Paul concludes. And we, and he includes us with that, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Once we are converted, the veil is gone. We see God's glory. And what does the glory do to us? We begin to reflect it. Like a mirror does. Not, not by our own light. No, we reflect his glory. Whatever good we do as a Christian, it's nothing from us. It's merely reflecting the Lord's glory, all glory and power to him. And what happens next? We start to change. Our mirror, by, that may initially be a bit hazy, 
becomes clearer all the time when the Spirit works out God's ways in us. We are being transformed into the likeness of the Lord, the Lord Jesus. We mirror more and more of his glory, his glory as the perfect man who was not only created in God's image, but who lived it out all his life. That's what Jesus did. Friends, that is the gospel. So stop trying to improve your life with the law as your guide, but rather turn to the Lord in repentance and faith. Have this veil being taken away by his grace and mercy and become the mirror God wants you to be. That's glory, and it's not a fading glory. It's an ever-increasing glory. For God himself, by his Holy Spirit, takes care of your growth in faith and love and hope and holiness. Once you see it, it's so amazingly simple. But it really needs the grace of God to remove the veil we all wear by our very nature. Once you are saved by his grace, begin then to live by his grace. For only then, as a humble mirror, you will increasingly reflect the glory of our God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your powerful words. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who gives that power to your word and who hammers away all our resistance against it and who builds a new temple for the Holy Spirit. And the temple is us, your children. Lord, help us to be filled with your glory, to be filled with your Spirit, to reflect all we have received from you and in you. Lord, bless us as we enter into a new week and help us, we pray, to reflect your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.